broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, on Rock Radio UK, the Blues Channel, you are now live from the Midnight Circus. This is Lahamadu, and I got a great show for you today. Today, our featured artist is Professor Louie and the Chromatics. They got a brand new release out. We'll be listening to tracks from that. And of course, we'll be talking with Professor Louie at the top of the hour. Now, this is the voice of indie blues. This is the show that brings you nothing but currently touring artists who are out there creating new original music rooted in the blues. We embrace the diversity of music that always has and still is being created from those roots. Now, if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingascene.org. We got some great articles, CD reviews, artist interviews, and so much more. In the meantime, I have got some great new music that I can't wait for you to hear. And some great new artists I just can't wait to, to introduce you to. And of course, I aim to misbehave. Yeah. 
still stand upon your shoulders And I feel a little stronger You gave me a little hope and I say thank you When I lose sight of the horizon You lift me up, my world is brightened You gave me a little hope and I say thank you I felt the ground shaking under me I saw the sky falling down on me I was scared cause I felt alone I was scared cause I didn't know I broke my wings and I couldn't fly I lost my way, I was going blind You gave me light when I couldn't see You gave me words when I couldn't speak And you said you are not alone I'll be your rock, I'll be your shelter
Here's the blues scale. Now you sing it with me. Breathe. La, la. Now let's try it like this.
set yourself
The moment you realize, how could there possibly be this many blues?
catfish swimming carefree. To turn me away 
It's improbable 
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. 
Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the indie revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Professor Louie and the Chromatics. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
religion They learn how to pray I need you so badly Professor Louie and the Chromatics, and we got Professor Louie on the line right now. Hey, Louie, how you been? I've been doing great, Rich. Thanks so much for having me on the line. I really appreciate it. And, you know, being on live from Midnight Circus, I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's been a long time since you and I had the opportunity to sit down and talk, so I'm looking forward to this. You know? All right. Great. Now I'm ready. <laughs> there we go. Now, you have this rich history in the music industry, and I always like to give our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that is to look at your journey. So give us the story of Professor Louie and, of course, of the Chromatics. Well, 
it gets pretty lengthy, so we'll try to we'll try to make it as you know easy as possible. But uh, we've been playing. You know, myself, I've been out there playing for quite a long time and had a great uh, opportunity to work with the great group, the band, and produce their three records in the '90s. You know, that was their <laughs> comeback records, and then went from there and produced uh, Grant Parker and Commander Cody, and been on the New Riders and a lot of great blues records. Um, right now, I got one up for the Grammys uh, with Guy. Davis's uh, record, you know, I recorded it, engineered it, played on it, which brings us to the Chromatics. They played on it, and the Chromatics started around the year 2000. Yeah, Professor Louie and the Chromatics, I got the name Professor Louie from the great late Rick Danko. I was playing a lot of shows with him, the bass player from the band, and he started calling me Professor Louie, and it stuck, and then we got uh, a great band. We're, we're up in Woodstock, New York, and we put a great band together to actually, in the 90s, we put it together to record songs when the band was on the road and I was getting songs in from great songwriters like Richard Thompson and people like that, we would demo them up in the band style so I could present them to the guys in the band and see if they might want to record them. And some, some they did and some they didn't, but that's how the Chromatics really got started as a recording act. And then in the year 2000, when uh, the band sort of stopped and Rick Danko and I got offered a record deal, uh, part of my contract was Professor Louie and the Chromatics had to have their own music going and their own records out. And that's how the Chromatics really got started. And it's evolved uh, 22 years later to us now releasing, I think, our 15th or 16th studio CD. And we got the greatest lineup. We got Gary Burke on drums who, um, you know, was Joe Jackson and Bob Dylan's drummer for many years. Frank Campbell on bass, who was Levon Helm's music director and was with Steve Forbert for a long time and Asleep at the Wheel. And we got Miss Marie, who uh, was with a great group, Mercury Rev, and also on band recordings and on the Rick Danko recordings. And then we got John Platania on guitar, who was with Van Morrison for many years and wrote all the great licks for Van, you know, uh, the Moon Dance, and uh, you know, just that whole record where he had that number one. That was Jean Platania, and that's where the Chromatics are now, and that's who's on the new record. So that's moving forward, and you know, the history of myself. A lot of it's on the internet, of course. You can look it up, which is really makes it easy because the history starts getting so long and deep that you can spend hours just talking about that, you know, and all the great artists and musicians that we've played with. Okay. Well, let's talk about this new release. What was your goal for this? What were you looking to achieve with this particular release? Well, what we wanted to do, we've been putting out, you know, as I said, we, every record we have put out, or a CD put out, whatever you want to call it, or album, you know, vinyl, has always had a theme. And this theme, what we really wanted to put out was original music number one now, what we wanted to get known and get recognized besides the great playing and the great players we've played with but for our writing skills because we've been written I think great songs that have been played all around the world by symphonies orchestras and other groups and people have covered it and I, that was sort of the goal when we got started let's write an original record and put out some upbeat music that makes people feel good so it's an original uh, album of music and that was that was the original goal 
and upbeat except for the very but that's an uplifting song so that was the uh, goal of the cd or of of the series of songs that we put together for this and uh, because of the COVID situation because you know usually we're out playing two three hundred shows a year this gave us a chance to really sit in the studio or sit in the writing arena a little bit longer Okay. Well, let's talk about that process of writing. You know, every songwriter has their way of tapping into the muse when they sit down to write. What do you do when you sit down um, that allows you to kind of uh, get those gears going? Well, you know, also since I produce records... Uh, and I produce a lot of records and, you know, have had a lot of them on the radio and on charts and things. It gives me uh, an idea, uh, it helped me get to formulate the idea of where it all ends up in the end. So one of the things about writing and getting started to write is where the song and where the record, because we're writing for records, we're not just writing songs to write songs, uh, is going to end up. So that's the first basis of how we get rolling. And one of the about having a group like we have here with the Chromatics, I'm writing for that group. If I'm writing for an Irish singer or an Irish writer that lose band, then I might have a different approach. But for this records we're writing, we wrote for the group. So since we know we have the great Gary Burke on drums, who's a tremendous rhythm, you know, he really lays it down. When I wrote the songs and, you know, or we wrote the songs, I wanted to make sure that we were writing lyrics and things that would have that kind of rhythmic idea that would help with the rhythm of uh, the lyrics, helping the rhythm of the drums. And also, since we have John Patani, who writes the greatest licks in history, I think it's proven, you know, on the Van Mars and stuff especially, that I wanted to make sure we had some licks on the record, on the guitar licks, that were memorable and great hooks. So we were starting off the writing process by knowing who we're writing, who's going to be in the studio helping us create the arrangements, which inevitably in rock and roll creates the whole image of the writing. And uh, that's that was our starting off point okay. of this record. Now, um, yeah. You know, I always find that lyric and melody are two different functions of the brain. You know, lyrics are very structured. They have, you know, continuity, story, meter, rhyme, all those really structured elements. But melody is a little different. Uh, some writers like to work off the groove. Others like to work off the cadence of, of the lyric. What, what's kind of your go-to when you look for melodies? Well, for melodies, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we'll just sit down and jam. You know, on things where I'll just sit down and jam by myself on the piano, or I might have an idea, being a keyboard player, I might have an idea, different chord structures I might want to try changing in different ways. So I may put a progression or a series of chords together and then write a melody on top of that, which makes that work. Or the other approach, which happens, you know, on this record, it's like 50-50, right? On this one, I might have written some melodies and then tried to put some harm, because chords are basically harmony, harmonizing your melody. So then I might want to harmonize the melody in a different way. And what the chord structures can do along with the melody is make the rhythmic patterns change and make the rhythmic patterns happen. So, you know, each song is different, and so there might be a few like on this record um you know we have we have flaming ray at the end i wrote that melody and put the chord structure to that melody on the opening track um 
And, you know, I should really get a, a CD in front of me because I'm dealing with so many songs and we just played, we've been playing a lot of shows. So, of course, that varies. But uh, on those, like on the opening song of the record, A Thousand Ways to Freedom, I wanted to really feature my vocal a lot. So the first thing I did was come up with a melody line that would really feature my vocal and an approach that would feature my vocal. And then came up with the chord and the rhythmic structure after I came up with the melody and the singing that I wanted. And then I added some words to it and kept fooling around with the words because to me, you know, the words are extremely important because that's what's telling the story. So if you can't tell the story correctly, the whole song's gonna fall flat. And if the story, if the song doesn't tell a story, the song is going to fall flat. So after, like in a song like A Thousand Ways to Freedom, I first started with my melody and what I thought my voice would sound best on, then put the chord structure to it, and then started fooling around with, with what I wanted to say in the song and the lyrics. Okay. So sometimes it's a three-part. Sometimes it's a three-part process, depending upon the song. And luckily, my writing partner, Miss Marie, she could come in and she might have something that works for the song better than what I'm doing or another part to it. You know, so it's good to have co-writers. Uh, it really is good to have co-writers and ask people to help you out because they may be writing. Since we know we're writing a new record for the Chromatics and we need something, everybody's sitting down trying to start writing new things so they can bring bring some fresh fresh ideas to your ideas, and that's really that's really important because of all the Chromatics record, we've never made the same record twice. Which I work with a lot of artists; they make the same record over and over because they don't want to have co-writers sometimes, and therefore sometimes it's hard to have all your ideas. That's why in rock and roll, I always like rock and roll the best because people do have co-writers and they have groups and it's just not one one person doing everything. Right, right. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, your toolkit as a writer because, you know, every writer has their, their toolkit, whether it's a pad or a pen or their cell phone or they have a home recording studio. And a lot of songwriters have embraced the technology of today. So what what is in your toolkit when you sit down to write? Well, when I sit down to write, I have a great acoustic piano. So, you know, I still do it uh, maybe an old-fashioned way. I don't really use anything modern when I'm writing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really versed the Pro Tools that I engineer for a living at times. But when I'm writing, a lot of times it's just a pad and a paper with an acoustic piano. Or, uh, you know, for this record anyway, because this record's a pretty organic. That's why I say each record is a different type of record. Uh, so for this record, uh, I sat down with the acoustic piano and uh, a paper and uh, pretty much wrote it out like that, knowing which way it was going to go. Sometimes, if you have, like I have a lot of really nice synthesizer sounds or sampling sounds and things like that, sometimes it's nice to put down different sounds, and then that can lead to writing because you got these sounds you're working off of that can lead you to new directions and new, new places. Uh, also, thinking because we use horn sections a lot, live horn sections, thinking about horn sections in the back of my mind and writing horn parts uh, on modern technology that you can put down, you know, with some of the synths and stuff, just to check them out before you bring the real horns in. That can help you writing. But on this CD, the Strike Up the Band CD, pretty much the uh, toolbox was... Uh, paper and an acoustic piano but however after we record the tracks and I like the feel of the tracks we do everything live the chromatics are a live band we don't do any overdubbing in terms of creating the songs you know it's five guys and five you know it's singing the whole thing all together at one 
time. Then sometimes I may not like a lyric, and we may be able to change the lyric once it's recorded multi-track. And uh, fortunately for me, I have a real recording studio because, you know, that's what I've been doing for so many years that I've kept the same building in the middle of a farm that I've had, you know, with an acoustic piano and a great sounding drums and an interesting sounding room that uh, I have that luxury where I can get into a professional studio, which is my own, and, um, you know, change things around and make it till I really, till I really like it. Lyric and song wise, so I, I know that we can perform them live, and they should. Hopefully, if we're really, really lucky, it'll jump out on the radio and create a new image for the band on the radio to the public. Okay, now um, let's talk about that that moment where you have to put the pen down. You know, every songwriter um, gets to that moment, you know, where they have to decide to stop the writing process and allow it to go into production and allow the producer and the musicians to kind of get their fingerprints on it. What do you do to determine that moment in a song's life? Well, that's a hard one. It really, truly is. A lot of times it's that I'm satisfied, and I can't be satisfied because, you know, we, when you play a lot and you play to audiences, you realize that imperfection goes a long way. And uh, so therefore, once I know I have lyrics and a melody and a groove that are happening, you know, and I, and I know when, you know, I do know when. As a producer over the years, that's one of the things you train yourself to do. You know, you got to know when to stop because you could actually lose things if you go too far. So um, once I know that the lyrics are saying something and the melody is saying something because vocally you've got it, you've got a good situation and, you know, you can, you can make the challenge the musicians so they would try harder, that's the time to stop writing and try to execute the performance. Okay. And that's when the writing ends. When you when you know you have to start trying to execute the performance to make the song alive. All right. Now, you know, you had yeah. already mentioned that's that... That's my you... process. Everybody's different, you know that. Yeah. Now, you had yeah. mentioned that, you know, when you go into the studio that the band does everything live. That's kind of your... Yes. The way you like to work. Um, with, this, with this record and this band, absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, as a producer, what are you? What is kind of your your way of approaching a project uh, when you get into the studio? Because that's the place where you actually create the identity of not only the song but of the artists themselves. It's kind of that place where it all happens, where the where the magic happens. What is your approach to projects when you get into that environment of the studio? Well, first of all, you need to do some pre-production. That goes without saying. You know, you need, I mean, we'll talk about the strike up the band with the chromatics. Like, we would, on this record, we wrote the songs and had the songs and we played them once or twice at a rehearsal. So everybody was familiar. I don't want to, my approach in the studio is you don't want to be too familiar with the pieces of music because then the spontaneous part of it gets lost. And everybody then is just imitating themselves, which is not good. You really want to keep it spontaneous. 
So with the chromatics, with the strike up the band record, we did rehearse the songs. Actually, we rehearsed a bunch of other songs too, besides the one that made the record, trying things out that I didn't think would fit the record. So we dropped it, but we still got in there and messed around with them, you know, just, just to be safe. And we also maybe learned a couple cover songs. Not that I wanted to have some cover songs, but just at that moment, just so everybody could get the feel of which way we wanted to go. So the pre-production is really important. Then when we get into the studio, the one thing I really like, especially with a lot, with a record like this in the studio with such great musicians is that it's spontaneous and nobody has passed the point of a take. So we'll, we'll record each take maybe two or three times. And I want everybody, and I like singing the songs as they're going down because then everybody's playing to the song. They're not playing to a quick track only and they're not just playing to what they think it's going to be. They're actually playing the song itself. And I figure the way I'm hoping, <laughs> the way I'm hoping on the producer side that because of that and they're communicating with the song that the result is going to communicate to the audience because the final result is to communicate with the audience. Wherever the audience is, whether it's on the radio, whether they're sitting home listening, whether they're sitting on their cell phone listening, whether they're driving in the car, it doesn't matter. You want the song to relate. So, therefore, if I figure, well, I'm relating to the musicians, the musicians are relating to the song, I'm relating to the song, we got at least a, a start that it could, it could go another step farther. So, that's why I like being able to sing the songs at the same time the guys are playing it in the studio and not replace that vocal and not replace the good playing because and not replace the guitar solos because that's what everybody's playing to so we try the most i mean if something doesn't work out you got to replace them and you got to fool around with them to fix them to get them better but that's the approach in the studio when the day you hit the studio you want to be able to rock them out but not, not have everybody have their parts so together that it's you know it's mechanical and if somebody makes a mistake you may want to keep that mistake and sometimes the musicians don't like that but in reality the feeling is the most important part right and i definitely agree with you on that now um let's talk a little bit about getting it out there you're working with betsy brown from blind raccoon tell me a little bit about that relationship well, we've worked with Betsy quite a bit, and I've worked with all, you know, when I produce records for other labels and other people, I watch what happens in the end. You know, one time I did with Buckwheat, and they hired the most famous Americana, you know, PR person, and, you know, when the band, we had different, when I was with the band, and I produced the record. So I've worked a lot with a lot of PR firms. The thing I like most about Betsy, she does what she says she's going to do. You know who she's going to get out to, which is really good, and hopefully more as she expands. We all expand together musically. And this is probably the third or fourth record the Chromatics have worked with her on, and there's been other records. I, this is probably about the eighth or ninth record that I've worked with Betsy on, either, either as a producer or my own act. And I really like her a lot. She's really on top of it. She um, she gets us out there. She gets the music heard, and that's, that's all you really can ask. What she does to do, she really works the radio really well and reviewers and interviewers. And if somebody gets a hold of her outside of what she does, she will get a hold of me and let me know that there's somebody there wanting to do an interview or wanting us on a TV show, call this person. And uh, so I really do enjoy working with her. We've been to Memphis and we've met face to face. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, I know a lot of the other acts she's working with. I just did the Blues Cruise, which had a lot of the acts that she's working with. And, uh, you know, people talk about it and work around. So it's really nice to have her on our team or maybe on, on, I'm on her team. I, you know, we haven't figured that one out yet. She's either on my team or on I'm her team. And that's what a great relationship is. You're all working, you know, hand in hand. Now, let's talk about uh, the industry itself. Now, you know, you have your own studio, so some of that cost of creating a project is kind of absorbed by the fact that you are doing it kind of yourself. But let's face it, you know, putting out a project is not cheap. You got to hire the publicist. You got to, you know, create the product. Well, we hire other. I hire other engineers. I hire the greatest engineer, uh, pretty much. Uh, you know, that's up here and pretty much in the world, Dave Cook, to come in and do a cut our basic tracks. Because while I'm playing and singing, I don't. I can't engineer. Right, right. I'll end up mixing them most of the time and then I hear hire the greatest mastering engineer in the end day you know Bob Ludwig who's mastered a lot of our records you know for uh, Bob you know if you look up Bob Ludwig you'll find out you know he's got more platinum and gold records and more Grammys than anybody and uh, we've been friends for years and you know just a great great engineer so I, I make sure that the engineering and the skill level is up to where it's supposed to be so it's not necessarily a cheap thing to do because I have my own studio what makes it harder I gotta actually do other the stuff sometimes to pay for what we're doing you know right right <laughs> so you know doing double double job there you know so um uh, it's definitely a job so even though we have our own studio and i've had it because i've created it or you know i had levon helm studio for years so i've had a, a recording studio for 35 years so um uh you know that that does help in terms of the time you can put in and not worry about the watching the clock. Right, right. But uh, it, it definitely costs. Yeah, it definitely costs because either it costs physically by you doing everything and have to work other projects and then hire what you have to hire out because even though, you know, I'm mixing it and I know a certain way, when you finally get that final person to put their ears on it, the record always comes that much more special. You know, like hiring Bob Ludwig or a Toby Mountain or somebody like that. Well, you know, we've been in this digital revolution for like 20-something years, and you've been in the industry, you know, even longer. You've seen all these changes take place. And let's face it, the, the consumer today has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And what has happened is that they don't look at recorded music anymore as a product that they they would purchase. It's now a service. They expect it to be on their phone 24-7, that when someone mentions an artist, they can immediately go on their phone and listen to that artist in their whole catalog, you know, without, uh, you know, a second thought. You know, they're consuming more, they're paying less. How has this shift in, in that perception of recorded music affected you as an artist and as a producer? Well, the, 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 you know, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, the one thing that really happened was people know who you are more easily. And, you know, also with the invention of YouTube, not only can they listen to it, they can watch it, you know. So you got to be careful about who videotapes you. And, you know, of course, people on the, sometimes on gigs, you know, they videotape you and it's god awful. And you try to not promote those. But uh, so that's one thing that's really good about it is they know who you are. And if you're playing someplace, they can find you and come and see you, which is why live performance is very important. 
Uh, the other problem, though, with it is, is the idea of how you get paid and how you do get paid becomes harder. Although, it, that has always been hard because you had to be with a label to get paid years ago, right, before it was all self-done. You had to sign with a decent label that would pay royalties. And, you know, every label's not faulting the labels because they like the label because you make them money and they make your name. You know, that's the way that's always worked. Uh, but, however, they had to be pretty honest about it and pay the royalties and sometimes that got pretty tricky because it costs a lot of money to have labels and press records you know so and they're trying other acts that aren't making money and if you're an act that makes money then your your money making is paying for the acts that don't make money so it's always been a difficult business it's never been an easy business ever um so that's why i say so now you have a chance to get much more exposure so the real hope is that when you perform because we're performing artists and we love to perform and then let's face it that's really where the music business started people going to see people live at one time the only way they could get to hear people is on radio and before they can get to hear before the radio the only way they could hear people is going live to see them and that's the way it works. So the live performance part is extremely important and still remains important. The only thing that diluted some of that stuff is they have groups out now that uh, imitate famous groups, and they're called tribute bands. And the problem with that is they don't record, and so therefore live, a lot of venues that, you know, draw a lot of tribute bands and people go see the tribute bands opposed to the recording acts. And of course, if you're up against a tribute band that does Johnny Cash one night, and let's say they do them great, and that's really good. And uh, we all love Johnny Cash. So therefore, people will go see Johnny Cash tribute band opposed to a, a new live band putting out original music because they know what Johnny Cash is going to do. Even though it's not Johnny Cash, a lot of people don't care. Um, and that's one thing that I think has hurt more of the new modern way of doing things than anything because people live will not pay a ticket to see a new original act or new music even if they like it because the night before they went to see the, their favorite act being imitated by somebody else. Well, you know, the, the, the whole world of the tribute band has always been um, uh, the bane of the existence of, of the touring acts. You know, they have to, you know, kind of compete with them because, let's face it, it's all about those butts in the seat. And, you know, I think, you know... Well, when the thing that's different, though, the thing that's very different that's changed is... And I like, I like to go hear people play other people's music. I really enjoy it. It used to be only in bars. Now it's people sitting in a theater watching it, which to me... It's not re it's not as real, you know. What I mean, not watching the people who spent thirty years creating the music and paid their dues to make this creating, created. Right. And that's a big difference. Going to a bar and singing along and having a ball, you know, to the music that you love is great. But sitting there and watching it, you know, that there's something real missing. Right, right. Well, the authenticity is gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the streaming part of it is good because people now can hear new original music they never heard before. And if we're lucky enough, people say, you know, I want to go see that. I don't want to go see somebody imitate somebody else in this theater. Well, you know, one of the offshoots of that that I noticed is that um, 
when the pandemic hit and everything shut down touring wise a lot of the artists that were creating original music had this time on their hands um they started to go up on the internet and doing live streams they started to work their social media and what they found is that the fan base really enjoyed seeing that intimate look into their world almost like a reality show you know what I mean? Yeah, we Where, did a couple of them. We did, we did uh, three major ones. Okay. And, and you know, they, they really look to that as being uh, the way to market uh, an artist now into the future is using that social media marketing like TikTok and, and Instagram and, and Facebook and so on and so forth. I mean, people like... Um, um, uh, uh, David Grohl doing the you know the drum battles with the eleven year old girl drummer, or you you, right. you know you have um, you know country artists that you know go up and and look for people that are covering their songs and and commenting on them on TikTok you know, so you know there is a lot of that going on now and I think. Um, you know, we know that before the pandemic that live music had its issues, you know, where we it, it wasn't really the entertainment option for a lot of people that didn't grow up with that frame of reference of going to a small intimate venue or a theater to watch music in the moment, that music being created by musicians that are cultivating all of that experiences that they have and then letting it out on that stage in that moment. And, you know, that experience now is being brought to a new generation on the Internet. And hopefully when they pass that marquee now, because they've seen them on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and so forth, they'll say, hey, I know those guys let's go see them and they'll turn in and pay the door to go in and get a ticket you know yeah well that's what I, that's what i was saying that's that's the uh, that's the other part that's really good about the new social media you know like for instance the chromatics we had three major shows that we put out there you know on different formats and we had thousands of people watching them you know full concerts we did some in our studio and we did some on huge you know big stages you know in clubs that were closed but they got their act together and had great video cameras and great production cameras and uh, that was great you know and we have all that stuff yep and that's important now that's important so now when people come to see us they actually request songs that we never played live before but we only played them on the streaming shows because at that point you know you were just doing it for yourself no audience right (laughs) so uh that's that part that's why i was saying before that part of it has really benefited everybody tremendously oh without a doubt now you know i I Go ahead. You know, but the thing is that actually financially, you know, to stay alive because of that, they have to come to the shows now because when you first put them out, you know, people, the way we were doing it anyway was you, some places paid us to do it. Some, some, some places paid us, you know, some of the theaters that did it actually, cause they got grants and stuff and they, you know, they would pay us somewhat to do it. And then we would also have either they would pay a ticket to do it, which, you know, I didn't mind that cause the same as the theater show or they had the tip jars, which we have on our website and they can contribute money either putting in PayPal or Venmo or any of this other stuff. And when we first started doing it, it was really doing well doing it. Then I think people got a little bit, uh, you know, they got a Lancey sitting home and just watching it and they want to see the real thing. So that sort of started curtailing a little bit. Um, 
you know, for the whole live shows. You know, they get, you know, like anything else, it has its period of time. So now we're back to still re-airing them or taking a song or two from each show and putting them on YouTube or putting them on Facebook to advertise the shows coming up. And that has been a tremendous publicity. Like, like for instance, we have a show coming up this weekend, you know, at a, at a great place in Massachusetts, in Fall River, the Narrows Art Center. And to advertise that show, we put up two, two songs from one of the streaming shows to say, hey, this is what you're going to hear. And this is what you're going to see. And that's fantastic. Yep, that it is. Now, you know, I yeah, really so, appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking with us. Well, thank you, Rich. And it's always a pleasure, and it's been too long. We have to stay in touch. Uh, yeah, sure. Definitely. And in the meantime, uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. Turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. Okay. Show. 
Special love. 
num rock Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
you knew how fast we're going, it would give you quite a shock. Write down your observations if you got the time, and if you can, please try to make it right. See what I'm saying.
faster But she's acting like it's big She's propped up a hoochie-coochie bar As she watches the tide come in 
The moment you realize, how could there possibly be this many blues? Anyway, darling 
You love me and you break down and cry. Telling me all these stories without one alibi. Now you're sitting there sobbing, blowing those bloodshot eyes. Now your hair is all a mess and your dress don't fit you right. I don't care.
just the other day It sounded like you were fine You said something Just hold me one more last time was recorded earlier so the producer and cast didn't have to walk home in the dark.
dorms coming. You can just pull up your shows, curl up in a duvet, maybe even draw up a bath and see where the night takes you. Sounds real nice.
them for long They say I don't know them no more I went to them for long They say they don't know me no more Now I'm here all alone I don't have no
with your mother in Tennessee. Because I can't. I ain't in no hurry, baby. I ain't got no worries in my. 
nightclub on the edge of town. It's a pleasant environment, but uh, but in the 21st century, uh, you know, you don't even have to leave the couch. Just turn on the TV and commercials or as theme songs, you will see and hear the blues are everywhere. I'm Elwood. Just don't care Trying to find the genie in a bottle Guess what, there's nothing there We all ground our way through the day-to-day routine Trying to find a way to stop living the dream Every day, nine to five, sucks the life out of your soul. The dead end world makes you feel like you got no self control. We all grind our way through the day to day routine. Try to find a way to stop living the dream. Living the dream. Living the dream. 
that's it. That's my show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you heard some artists that you didn't know about and enjoyed some artists that you did. And remember, all of these artists that I played on this show are out there right now, touring and creating new original music rooted in the blues. If you want to keep the blues alive, you have to support the artists who are out there creating that new music. Because it is a living art form that is being performed every single night somewhere in the world. So, if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingthescene.org. You can find out about some great new artists and the ones that we played on the show tonight. Add them to your playlist. And you can discover them on our website. So, till next time, this is Lahamadou. Tech, I'm out of here. Baby, just gone away. Doctor, things left on with my friend. I gone, lost my dog, I'm alone. Just fought somebody. I mean, found it funny. I got knocked in the head, man, by old friends. I lie me and think I'm dead. Got to pay my bills. Got my house off the same.